My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 26. We're reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Genesis 47 and 48, Job 39 and 40, and Psalms 16. Genesis 47. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and brothers, with their flocks and herds and everything they own, have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, We have come to live here for a while, because the famine is severe in Canaan, and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen, and if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys, and he brought them through the year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crops came in, give a fifth Of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your household and your children. 
You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belonged to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear it to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Some time later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph had come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your number. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any child born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan, while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road of Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was the younger and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land, then to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Job 39. 
Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wild. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who unites its its ropes? I give it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spread her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with the flashing spear and lance. It frenzied excitement. It eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snares. Aha! It catches the scent of the battle from afar. The shout of commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rock, rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood and where the slain are, there it is. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can you can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that you are right. Your right hand can save you. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its lion. What power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bone are tubes of bronze and its limb like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plants it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow. The populars by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Psalms 16, a miktam of David. 
Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. So in this story, they all move to Egypt. Pharaoh gave them the best land and a place for their livestock, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh in verse 47, 10, which presumably is why Joseph was able to help Egypt flourish despite circumstances. I mean, as a business person, he was pretty clever about everything and basically taking everything and making it centrally controlled, but there's a whole bunch of different business political side conversations you can have about that. But it's interesting to note, um, but I point the favor and it all working out um, back to God. Marty Solomon and Brett Billings from the BEMA podcast talk about how Joseph was living with both stories and lived with two fathers in a way. So the author of Genesis seems to be setting up the story with the question, which story will Joseph ultimately choose to be a part of? How will this end? Jacob makes a big deal to Joseph about not burying him in Egypt, but taking him, but taking his body back to the land of their fathers. It's like Joseph chooses at this moment, he chooses his family. Um, he says to his father, I will do it. And he swears that he'll do it. This is a big deal to Jacob and Joseph. And he'll have to be kind of risky taking a risk by asking Pharaoh um, if he will allow him to take him back to Canaan, the land of Canaan, because honestly, the assumption is that he'll be buried um, in Egypt. And the story goes on to say that Jacob blesses Joseph and Joseph, or Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. Um, Notice Jacob does not bless Joseph's firstborn son, Manasseh, which Joseph initially found frustrating, but his firstborn son was also blessed, but told by Jacob. Jacob, that the second born son, Ephraim, will be greater. This just continues to be God's pattern in the story so far in Genesis. He doesn't pick the firstborn, the first in the story, and he often picks the barren woman. He's not necessarily against the culture or those that are blessed or favored in society, but he's making it clear that his ways are not our ways, um, and he will be known and shown through these not culturally elected or selected individuals. And I just think there's something, if anyone's slightly rebellious, you find that pretty cool. (laughs) So to review the story of Job, God states that Job is righteous, and he is suffering, and it isn't deserved, but God allowed the adversary to do to him, in this case, make him suffer. His first three friends give what we consider proverbial wisdom, which is, you know, the righteous will be blessed and the wicked will not. Um, But Aleu is, you know, responding to Jacob's, you know, counter to all of his three friends that 
listen, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve this. Um, and Aleyu's saying, yeah, but you're yelling at God that he's somehow not just um, and that you've not sinned in any way ever in your life. So he's he's really challenging the drift of his hurt and frustration. And then God is finally answering Job. So we've been waiting for this, right? And Father Mike Schmitz, I love what he has to say about this. God is saying there is so there's so much beyond me. He's not. He doesn't say stop asking questions to Job. God doesn't say stop wrestling with me, Job. But he is putting Job into context. He's not saying to Job, be quiet or sit down. God is revealing, if not reminding Job, there is a bigger story going on. And while you may not know the why, you know, I'm God and I have meaning and the and I have purpose and I know what I'm doing. So it's more pushing him back to you have to trust in me and who I am. And all of these moments matter in this story. And he, Father Mike Schmitz is encouraging us to ourselves and to our friends to be gentle and patient. We're all suffering and struggling with one or more many things, but there can be something redemptive and restorative um, in the story. And if we look back to what we've been talking about with Joseph, that is exactly what's happening. Uh, there is something restorative and redemptive, even in suffering that Joseph didn't deserve. So Father Mike Schmidt describes how some suffering is oriented towards repentance, some towards wisdom and growing in knowledge. Some suffering is is there towards breaking our hearts to be gentler and better people. And sometimes suffering is towards redemption, suffering that transforms us and is offered by God that is expressly for the purposes of the world. Um, Some suffering, we just may not know the answer to the reasons why ever in our lifetime. But the point is, and what seems to be the focus of Job, is that we still have to make a choice. We have to make a choice to, if we're faced with that kind of suffering and situation, are we going to put our trust in the who, in all caps? Are we trusting him? And the what, in all caps, God is doing in the bigger picture and longer story, which he has invited us into. And I also love what Father Mike Schmidt says. He says, the Old Testament is hidden in the New Testament, and the New Testament is revealing it revealed in the Old Testament. We all need to be um, and need to have people around us who are patient, gentle, pursue wisdom, willing to repent, willing to forgive, and remind, remind ourselves and remind others that only God knows the full story. And he can use our suffering for redemption, um, in ourselves and others and for the entire world. And that we want to be careful not to just offer people that proverbial wisdom. Because again, the Bible offers three books of wisdom and each one gives us a little bit more discernment, but still not enough to say masterclass on all wisdom because God is the master teacher and he doesn't tell us everything there is to know about wisdom. He is wisdom. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.